Howdy, howdy, and welcome to episode 109 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on episode 109, we are visiting with the captain of the U.S. men's national goalball team. And this young man is an absolute rock star on the goalball court and just a great guy in general who is very insightful and has a lot of interesting anecdotes and stories to share about all of the tournaments he's competed in, including the Tokyo Paralympic Games. So why don't we go ahead and hit the goalball court now and get rolling toward episode 109 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Alright, so my guest here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is Callahan Young. And Callahan is currently the captain of the U.S. men's national goalball team and uh, a very accomplished uh, goalball player, in my opinion, probably one of the top goalball players in the world currently. Uh, so super excited to welcome Callahan here to the podcast. Callahan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's definitely an honor to be on the show. And, uh, you know, you had my my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, on the show, Ileana Mason, uh, last year. And so I got to listen to that. So I'm excited to be a part of this. Absolutely. And hey, congrats. Was not aware of that, uh, that news. So congrats to you guys. Thanks. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> We're still riding the wave. I, um, we went on a family vacation to Hawaii in January and I uh, popped the question. So it's exciting time. Nice. I need a wedding. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's a cool place to, to pop that question, too. So very cool. <laughs> Alrighty, so why don't we just kick things off here just with your your early years, Callahan, uh, if I recall. Are you from like the Pittsburgh area? Yeah, so I grew up about 30 minutes outside of Pittsburgh in a city called Irwin. And I grew up there and now we, since then, my mom had moved closer to downtown Pittsburgh. So we're like five minutes away, which is awesome because we get to a little bit more of the city life on an easier basis. But yeah, I'm from the diehard Pittsburgh fan and uh I love Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, nice. Yup. Yup. And then as far as your visual impairment, just talk to me about when you were diagnosed and, and your condition. So I have retinitis pigmentosa. And for those who may not know, it is when your retinas aren't fully developed and they degenerate as you get older throughout life. And different people have different um, like speeds in which they degenerate. And so my father, who passed it down to me, was the fortunate one out of uh, my two siblings to to get it. And whatever the gene, Sino, or uh, <laughs> uh, the gene, like how it played out, I I got it. My siblings didn't, but my dad lost his majority of his vision around like fifty, and um, so I got a, like a mutated version where mine showed up a lot earlier. So, of uh, Red eyes pigmentosa is when you don't have pretty much any peripheral vision. Um, I think my tunnel now, it's like looking through smaller than like two paper towel rolls. And um, in not having peripheral vision, you also can't see anything at night because your peripheral vision is what pulls in light at um, during the nighttime. So being night blind and then um, I also have nystagmus in my eyes shake because they're trying to pull in information around me. And then tied on top of them, colorblind with blues and greens, which people always think that I can't see colors. But in reality, I just mix up pretty much every color. (laughs) 
be cutting up a right. red bell pepper and it's a yellow bell pepper, uh, eat like that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm a full-time white cane user. I didn't start using my cane until I was around 19 or 20. I was a stubborn, blind, young adult <laughs> who didn't yep, accept my blindness yep. until way later in life. And I was diagnosed probably whenever I was like four or five. My mom had noticed I had just had issues kind of navigating or just you know, anxiety being around social settings that were like loud. So I would like kind of like hide in the back. And um, so they went and, and they also noticed my eyes shaking. So they went and got me tested and I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa whenever I was real young, around like four or five. And the fact that your dad uh, has RP as well. I mean, were your parents kind of cognizant of making sure to, to check, you know, you and your siblings to kind of keep an eye on things when you were born and after you were born as far as potential? Yeah. And my... So it's, it's kind of all over my family right now. Um, so my uncle, my dad's brother also has it. And then hmm. his daughter, his youngest daughter also has retinitis pigmentosa. So we definitely have the family gene going on here. So, um, but I, I would say that I, I've been more of the, like my dad still, you know, my dad lost his vision later in life. And so growing up, like, I was kind of the guinea pig in the family for what blindness really is. And even when I was a kid, my vision was a lot better. Like my cutie was like 2050. <laughs> now it's like 22 gotcha. on a good day. Um, but so, you know, like growing up my vision, I was the blind one, but even still like now compared to then, it's still like a guinea pig just because of I'm the super blind one now, <laughs> you know, like right. going to the family <laughs> events using my cane or um, <laughs> just trying to navigate and people trying to understand like, what do I need help with? Or, you know, yep. Yep. Makes sense. So in terms of education, were you pretty much mainstreamed in, in K through 12 school? Yeah. So I went, um, I went to public school K through 12. Uh, I feel like I, I gained a lot of character in life by <laughs> dealing with this like stereotypical, <laughs> like being bullied in, uh, in high school for, you know, being blind, not being able to see and, you know, I didn't accept my my vision back then either. So I didn't have a cane or I was embarrassed by it. And so I kind of uh, let that get the better of me during high school. But I, I always had it builds character now for me. So, <laughs> Right. So in a way, it kind of shaped you and, and kind of maybe gave you more confidence or exposed to more things than if you had gone to, say, a blind school, you think? Yeah, just, I mean, I think that it it gave me the confidence that, like, in all honesty, like the worst people are going to do is stare and, you know, make a joke or here and there, like, but it doesn't really matter. Right. Like, uh, I feel like as you kind of adopt and get used to your blindness in life, it's, you know, it's easy to poke fun and, uh, just make a joke about it. Right. Just because like, if it's just serious about it, 24 seven, it, it gets too serious and, uh, you know, it just gets overwhelming, I would say. So definitely learned to kind of like make fun of my blindness or if i run into something it's not like you know i'm not mortified it's more or less just like well <laughs> ran into another sliding glass door that was locked so exactly yep yep uh, so then as far as sports go talk to me about kind of when you first started playing sports and what what sports you initially played as a kid my family is giant into sports my older brother played basketball pretty religiously he was on travel teams and uh so was my sister with soccer she also did track and field volleyball and so my mom and dad who played basketball and volleyball and um 
amongst other sports, you know, we've all been very invested in the sport. So I, I got involved in, um, when I was a young kid, I played baseball and I, in my opinion, I was really good. Uh, I was starting third base. I could hit home runs. I was, I had a lot better vision back then, <laughs> which is probably evident by being able to hit a home run. And like, I, I mean, I feel like I played baseball up until middle school. So, um, my vision was just a lot better looking back. I don't think there, there's no chance I could catch a pop fly. <laughs> and, uh, so like, um, I gotta say playing baseball was my favorite sport that I, I ever played. And as I started to progressively lose more vision, uh, my mom would do things like put a face mask on my helmet, which I was absolutely mortified because, you know, no other, no other baseball player in that time had a face mask covering their helmet when they're batting. But my mom's rationale was she didn't want me to get hit in the face by a straight ball, which is totally fair when another 13 year old kid is throwing a, ball at you um looking back right. at it. <laughs> but then i was mortified and i think as i got older i just could see less and less and so i stopped playing and in middle school that's whenever i started to get more involved in school sports i played football i'd say i played football seventh eighth ninth and tenth grade um i was never very good <laughs> it's hard to play <laughs> it's hard to play mainstream sports when you can't see anything um for sure uh, i was offensive and defensive line and i i didn't get the most playing time like i just couldn't see right like i couldn't see uh, an offensive line if if there was someone beyond the first person in front of me it was just i was completely clueless and um but i i love the team sport aspect of it i i love the contact i used to volunteer as like punt returner and running back for <laughs> for the practice squad team and just get absolutely crushed but <laughs> I just I loved that adrenaline and uh, just the fun you would have because I feel like all the practice squad guys are just, you know, they're trying to stay off the sideline and do something during practices. And I I loved all those experiences and memories. I had made a lot of great friends doing that. Um, and then I was like slammed into the world of blind and disabled sports when I was like 13. And that was like a whole game changer because I had, up to that point, like my family I'd never been introduced or shown what uh, goalball or, you know, swimming for the blind. You know what I mean? Everything we had done was just um, mainstream sports and there was no accommodations whatsoever. And it didn't help that I hid all my, I hid my blindness. So I, <laughs> you know, playing basketball, right. I'd get hit in the face with the ball and everyone be like, you got to pay attention more. I'm like, yeah, totally should have cut my eye out. <laughs> in reality, it just, zero accommodation for the fact that I was running around legally blind and trying to trying to catch a basketball. Right. Right. And so was it uh envision blind sports there in the Pittsburgh area that kind of introduced you to, to some of these adaptive sports? Yes, it was. I attended a program when I was in middle school that was called homes. And I'm not quite sure what the acronym stands for anymore, but it basically taught like, um, you know, like living skills and like activities of daily living for people with disabilities. So like running the bus or ATMs or whatever. And so the one day Envision Blind Sports came down and did a demonstration of goalball. And here again, it was my first time ever seeing a sport designed for the blind. And it was insane. I was completely blown away that they actually made sports where, you know, it was intentional. It was intentional that it was an equal playing field and that everyone 
had an equal chance to be successful or or not right and um it's up to that point like every sport i played i either thrived or completely sank <laughs> and so once they did the that demonstration i started attending their yearly summer camp up in slippery rock it was located at slippery rock university now it's at penn state Barron, which is a little bit more north of pittsburgh than slippery rock but I attended their summer camps every year from 2007 until I graduated high school in 2013 and played every sport under the sun with them. And then they also had a youth goalball team that we would travel to youth nationals every year. But our our humble brag is that we won youth nationals in both 2011 and 2012 back to back and uh, (laughs) went from fourth place, 12th place to first to first. And, uh, that was, you know, our kind of a crowning accomplishment and uh, just couldn't have been where I am now if it wasn't for Envision Blind Sports giving me you know, all the opportunities. And the director of the program, Wendy Fagan, she's been like my second mom. She's the greatest. She's been and one of my biggest advocates for me, um, besides my mom, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> just keeping my goalball abilities alive and well. Yeah, I did have Wendy on this podcast uh, recently as well, and she's uh, she's a great lady, super passionate about you know helping people and just providing opportunities. So you know, it's it's really neat that the two of you connected back then, and I think are still even friends to this day. Yeah, I, she's great. She's just so passionate about blind sports and getting people involved, and so. I try to help out anytime I go back to Pittsburgh, I try to get involved with her programming that they have or a fundraiser, anything along those lines. Just, you know, I I like to try to give back and be present and um, just try to help support an organization that has supported me my entire life. Um, You know, they supported (laughs) they were they they couldn't have been more proud whenever I got selected and went to uh, the Tokyo 2020 games and uh, just a nonstop support I've had throughout the years through the ups and downs. And Wendy holds no punches. If we sucked at a tournament, she'll text me and be like, wow, you guys did not do well. <laughs> so. Wow. Very okay. honest. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Or she is. Yeah. Yup. Yup. Um, so just in terms of goal ball, just talk to me about if you can think back to, you know, your first time on the court and just those initial times you got to play what was it about this sport that really kind of drew you and got your your mojo you know pumping (laughs) well to be honest uh the competitor that i am i sucked whenever i first started playing i mean just like anything you do that's new (laughs) it's uncomfortable it's hard to hard to do and so i sucked and i wanted to quit immediately i told my mom i was like (laughs) i i'm not good at this I don't think I ever will be. And we drove two hours to practice and two hours home every Sunday for, I don't know, five, six years. And so my mom said, listen, if you quit, we get four hours back on our Sunday. But um, I forget what along the lines she said, but if you're, if we're driving to practice, you better get, you better get your butt up and (laughs) and try your hardest. So (laughs) I feel like my hands were a little forced to keep on playing. And uh, I'm so thankful that my mom motivated me to do that because after I got through that initial phase of, wow, I'm awful, um, I started to appreciate, okay, I'm kind of decent. I'm kind of tall. I can cover ground. 
I started to get my throw. And then like, well, once you get that confidence, it's so hard to let go of it because, you know, it's just such a relief in life whenever you are, you know, blind, low of vision, whenever you can do something where you can just navigate on a court completely and um, compete in a sport where it's a completely equal playing field. And um, you're not just getting destroyed by people that can see <laughs> and like run circles around you. So, I mean, that confidence was, you know, I still get that sense of overwhelming. Like, I love this trying to compete and uh, I hate losing. But whenever in, in the midst of competition and midst of games, like I, I still do think about that. Like, I love doing this and love being a part of this sport. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so then in terms of your, your goalball journey, uh, kind of leading up to the Paralympic Games in 2021, um, if you just want to kind of highlight what steps it took, you know, to, to become a member of Team USA and actually get that opportunity. I feel like my journey took forever <laughs> to get to the, the international <laughs> stage. Um, people always, I feel like I get the perception that I just jumped on the team and was good and started traveling with the team. And and that was the end of it. But I, my first time traveling with the national team was in 2017. So I would have been 22, 23 years old. And during youth nationals was whenever I got my first introduction to the national team. And so when I was 15, the head coach at the time, Mike Leger, who was the head coach of the men's national team, he had come up to me and asked if I wanted to uh, come try out, not try out, but just start coming to training camps. And, you know, I was ecstatic. But then I got the training camps and I was getting just destroyed by people like Tyler, um, Tyler Marin, Matt Simpson, I think Andy Jenks, Joe Hamilton, uh, just everyone was just annihilating me. So <laughs> that was like my first introduction to the national team, um, just being young. And I was probably like six foot, 140 pounds. So just lanky and uh absolutely no weight whatsoever. <laughs> and, um, and so that, you know, I attended those training camps and did all of the requirements, um, like submitting workout reports and attended every domestic tournament I could, um, traveling around with different guys and, um, you know, competing and trying to grow my skills. And we opened up, not we, um, USABA, the United States association of blind athletes, and the Turnstone Center in Fort Wayne opened up their residency program here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, back in late 2015. And during that time, I was in college. So I attended Slip Rock University for my undergrad. Uh, I started in 2014 and I finished in 2017. So during that time, I trained full time up in college. Uh, we had a club team. And so, you know, I, I tried everything I could to keep my skills as tuned as I could and to continue developing myself and putting on muscles so that I wasn't just a tall, lanky kid. I was trying to put some muscle on. And so continuing the story of my uh, involvement, we, after I graduated, I had to do an internship. And so I was fortunate enough at the Turnstone Center here in Fort Wayne, I was able to get an internship with their recreation therapy department. And so I was able to do my internship here. So it, it was crazy. It's it's never not been crazy because I feel like it's the same now. I would do, we would do practice from, I don't know, 
eight to 11. And then I would do my internship from 11 to seven and then do homework and get home and do homework until 11 probably. And then do that wow. every Monday through Friday. And, um, you know, I just think that persistent push to, you know, kept me involved, right? Because I wasn't just doing goalball. I was also doing other things on top of it. And so I think that kept my interest levels extremely high, but I was able to here again, sharpen my tools and work with actual strength and conditioning coaches who um, still is our coach, EJ Whitney. Uh, love that guy. <laughs> but around that time in May of 2017, that was the first time I traveled with the team. We had gone to Lithuania and uh, Sweden and I was awful. I was nervous. <laughs> like I was literally shaking when I got on the floor. Um, oh, so I didn't man. have, I didn't have a great tournament. I didn't start, um, you know, there was better guys than me on the team. And then we went to the Panam, the Panama, the pair of Pan American games or just the America's championships, excuse me, in 2017, which were in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And there again, I was so nervous the entire time I was shaking, <laughs> got in against Canada in the, um, I don't know if it was a semifinal or just a, just a random uh, pool play game, but I was literally shaking. My coach pulled me because I gave up two goals in a row to start. And he goes, you got to get it together. You're shaking. Everyone can see that you were nervous. And um, yep. so it's funny just how much I've really developed since then. It's I was really able to focus on just my confidence and, um, you know, just keep progressing as a player because in 2018 was the world championships. And so I went into that as a starter and, you know, I was actually a competitive player in the world on the world stage. And so that was my first taste of, okay, this is what it can be like to be a starter. And these are the things I got to improve. And 2019, I think we literally just worked on improving qualifying for Tokyo was the biggest biggest hurdle that we had to overcome and we were able to do that in Peru. And then once we qualified, it was, it was great because we were able to actually sit down and figure out a plan of, um, you know, the cycles that were going to lead up to Tokyo. And I was able to put, I put on like 25 pounds of muscle and it was great. Wow. <laughs> uh, we went into 2020 really high. we, in January, we went to Finland and, you know, left that feeling really good. And then COVID hit. <laughs> and so yep. Uh, yep. that had caused, you know, through a wrench into everything. And so trying to just trying to figure out what in, what in the world we were going to do. We did at home workouts, you know, just like the rest of the world. We struggled, but in our own way, it was we're fortunate, like in Fort Wayne, we had a pretty solid community of people that we were just around all the time anyways. And so we were able to get out of the house and interact with people because it was just the same people all the time. So you're not like we were going out and being irresponsible, but sure. Sure. All, all with all this said that led up to the, the Tokyo 2020 games. And um, I couldn't have been more honored to be a part of that team. It was my first Paralympic games and just what a wild ride it was. <laughs> we, we we get into the games and uh, we beat Brazil in the in the first game of pool play. And Brazil's always ranked as number one, always probably the favorite to win the gold medal at every competition. And so going to the Paralympics and us beating them uh, set 
<laughs> it probably said everything, everyone into a tailspin trying to figure out, wait, what, what the hell just happened? And, uh, <laughs> and then one of our other starters, Tyler Marion got injured in that first game and was out the rest of the tournament. And then, so with, as the rest of the world's like, Oh my God, I can't believe Brazil just lost. We were trying to figure out what in God's name do we do now? Because we, <laughs> Tyler was one of our bigger offensive weapons and just defensively was sound. And so that's why on the court, um, starting with us. And so the rest of Tokyo was just kind of a wild adventure trying to figure out what <laughs> what combination of players worked and what didn't work because I don't think we had the strongest contingency plan of one of us getting hurt. Um, sure. So, you know, that was an interesting thing to kind of navigate and um, just figure out and how to support Tyler because Tyler's a, you know, he's a veteran of the team. He's been a part of playing goal ball for like, I don't know. He's probably like a hundred years old at this point. And so he's, he's been playing for like 20 years. And uh, so it's just being a part of that journey with him, because I know that it was hard for him trying to, you know, navigate the emotions of wanting to be on the floor and uh, not being able to, I couldn't even imagine working, you know, not two years longer or an extra year longer with COVID for something and getting hurt in the first game. Like that sucks. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah, the, the other way around especially. it. Um, yep. But being a team sport, it was great just because, you know, we're all able to rally around each other. It's not like just because Tyler goes out, the rest the entire team, we're not going to throw in the towel. You know, we all pulled together and had a big comeback win against Ukraine in the quarterfinals. And uh, unfortunately, we came in fourth place. We lost to China in the semifinals. I think we lost seven to two. And then we lost to Lithuania in the bronze game, eight to six. Uh that one kind of stung. <laughs> it was, you know, first Paralympics. I, all I can imagine is us meddling in that wear the metal gear that Nike so kindly provided us and um, not having to bring it to the stadium and not getting to put it on was kind of a kind of a bummer. Uh, but I was thankful because I didn't have to get they chose one person from each team to get drug tested and they chose Matt Simpson. And so I was thankful that I didn't have to get drug tested. Just I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> so right. at least I could be upset on my own and not have to deal with some random person trying to get my pee. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo. And I'm definitely curious about uh, the restrictions from what I recall. You know, there were quite a few restrictions on assimilating with other teams and just the COVID restrictions that were involved. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it was, I mean, it was cool to be, I don't know if cool is the right word. It was interesting to be a part of it. <laughs> like at the dining halls, there was giant plexiglass barriers between each person left and right and separating the table in half. So that way, it, like we were trying to talk. So we would talk like facing up towards the ceiling, which I feel like defeats the purpose of the plexiglass. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's just like, all of our germs are just going rapid fire up in the air. Um, and we were instructed not to interact with any other country, um, which, you know, I mean, sucked because you're in a village, there's like 30 buildings that are all apartments um, that are like 20 stories tall. And so it's hard to not interact with other countries, right? Because you're just constantly surrounded by them. You're, you know, the other teams are your friends. Like we're kind of close with Brazil, uh, their coaches and our coaches and some of the players and us. And, you know, it's just them as an example. It's hard to just not interact with them. I mean, we still kind of did, but just at a distance. But then leaving the village and coming back to the village was always a pain because 
you weren't allowed on a bus that wasn't like pre-scheduled for you. Like they had very strict, like they had a dude come on and count every time you came in and come out. And then when you came back into the village, you had to do a temperature check. <laughs> and so hmm. it's just every, every, every single thing that you did took an extra, like, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then when on the bench, you had to wear your mask for some reason. Um, <laughs> we, we couldn't figure that one out because like, <laughs> In a warm-up room, we didn't have to wear it, and we weren't around anyone else on the bench. You're just around your team, so you had to have patches on, for, you know, prepared to go into the game with your mask on, and so it's kind of like a, um, it's like a suffocating feeling to have all that your face covered pretty much entirely. <laughs> and so right, it was, right. it was odd, but you know, it was an experience to be a part of. Going there was the most stressful because. We had to get COVID tested twice prior to your flight. And, you know, you could have a missed test or anything that came back positive. You weren't going. And like there was no mm. ands or buts. And so that was just extremely nerve wracking because who knows? And unfortunately, to one of the sitting volleyball women's players, she had tested positive before before she left. And thankfully, she was able to go. Um, they were leaving early enough that she made it for the, like the second half of their competition. but. You know, that was nerve wracking because he just who knows. And then once you get to the <laughs> the Tokyo airport, it, there's just temperature checks everywhere. You got covid tested and it was funny. They gave you this sheet of paper, this gold sheet of paper, and you had to show it as um, you had to have your negative covid test with you. And so whenever you got to the airport, you showed them your negative covid test. They gave you this gold piece of paper and then it was like your golden ticket for they had to have at least checked it. Like, I'm not even joking over a hundred times. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so uh, my teammate, Daryl Walker, we get to the final checkpoint and you know, we're, this is checkpoint 101 to leave the airport to make sure that you didn't have COVID. You had the gold paper. Daryl had lost his gold paper between like 20 yards between the previous checkpoint and the last checkpoint. <laughs> and, and it was just a giant fiasco. They were just like, well, you don't have the gold paper. And we're like, you just checked it a hundred times prior. Like, I think we wouldn't have got right. here unless he had the gold piece of paper. So that was fun. Uh, that was just such a fun, interesting experience. And here again, like getting to do it with your team, it was cool just because we had to sit in this like um, waiting room kind of thing while we waited for our COVID test to come back. And we sat there for, I'd say a solid two, three hours, just playing like word games and trying to figure out something to do with our time because we had nothing. We had nothing to do. Right. Right. Wow. And like, I can imagine just kind of having gone through all that and, you know, such an unusual time. And obviously many of us out there in general, you know, went through COVID in, in many different ways and experiences, but just as a goalball team specifically, kind of navigating all that. And I feel like if you guys can do that, you know, you can pretty much handle anything, right? Yeah. Well, that's a, a having a disability like here. I don't know. You hear all the time, uh, having a disability can overcome most obstacles in life. And I, I really do think that holds true just because like we are constantly adapting and trying to accommodate for what we need. And uh, I just think waiting in an airport, I mean, I can't tell you the number of airports I've slept in for due to canceled flights and all that crap while trying to travel for competitions. <laughs> and so having to sit in an airport for a couple of hours really wasn't the worst. It was just odd. <laughs> it was, you know, right. and 
Well, like you said, getting to do it with your team, like it was just an experience that like we'll never get back. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll always have that together. Like it was odd, but we made the best of it. We had fun. Everyone was miserably tired because the, the flight was like 15 hours. <laughs> and so yo, yo. everyone's groggy. No one's brushed their teeth. No one because you didn't have your luggage. And so you just we could drink some water and, you know, try to use that. But uh, everyone feels gross after a 15 hour flight and just wants to get to the village and, um, you know, get a shower at, at the minimum. <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh yeah at least get some water on you <laughs> yeah oh yeah <laughs> yo um so then you did mention the fourth place finish obviously missing the podium you know by one one shot there uh what what would you say you guys learn just in general you know goal ball specifically from that experience and kind of how you took that that forward i i mean the biggest thing for me uh was you know, just being more consistent with throwing. Uh, we made it a big point after England last year to not throw penalties. And I feel like obviously you shouldn't throw penalties, but if it's a lot easier said than done, right? Every sport, I think every team is trying to do less penalties and less infractions. And it's not easy, right? Like every, every team sport and every whatever, like people get penalties all the time and you're trying to cut down. And so that was one of the bigger things for me was I realized was I threw a ton of penalties um, just trying to pump in a goal because I feel like sometimes we were sputtering trying to we couldn't get a goal in at all. And so I was trying to do anything I could to just pick up the energy and push it and now a little bit more mature than I was then. I know, you know, pushing things doesn't always make them, you know, more likely to score or anything like that. I think being more strategic with what you're trying to do and just being consistent on the what ball you're trying to throw, what area of the court you're trying to hit. And then the other big piece for me was defense. Like I, I knew going forward, I had to fix my defense. Uh, I mean, I played, I played good defense then, but like I would say since then to now I've uh, really stepped up and played great defense. And so I think that was the biggest thing team wide was we need to throw less penalties and just be more consistent throwing the ball. Right. Because that's what the best teams Brazil and China, they could throw the same ball at you a thousand times in a thousand different small ways, but it just hits weird and pops in. And I mean, it's um, and then their defense is consistent. And so that those are the two big takeaways for us is that if we wanted to step up and be a part of that larger national or um, world scale of elite level goal ball, we had to improve those two pieces because we were just. You know, we weren't we were scraping by, but we weren't thriving. And so I think now we didn't do great in England last year uh, for the IBSA, the IBSA qualifier. And um, we had a good stretch in the middle and then we started off really bad. So that set us up for, I think, failure for the rest of the, uh, for the end of the tournament. But, you know, I, we try to take every tournament as a learning experience I think it hit way harder because it was the Paralympics. It was my first Paralympics. And uh, I knew the level of support that I've had from my family and uh, all my friends and all that. So it's just, it's disappointing on one front of, you know, we didn't medal and there's all a whole slew of things that come with meddling, right? There's, there's medal money. There's the prestige of being a Paralympic medal, uh, Paralympic medalist. And it's just rough. <laughs> it was it was hard to have like a dream I've had since I like, kid kind of just snatched away from me in a 
matter of uh, 24 minutes of gameplay. So kind of stung. It kind of stung a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, coming up that that short, like you said, fourth place and basically one one went away, essentially. Right. Exactly. We had to win either the semi or the bronze game to be uh, a Paralympic medalist. And, you know, the cards didn't fall in our favor. And I mean, it's just sports, right? Like you can't you can only control what you can control. And, you know, we didn't do the things on our side that we needed to do to be successful. Sure, sure. Hey, I appreciate the honesty and, <laughs> and transparency. So then transitioning on to the Parapan American Games in uh, Chile this past past fall. And so I believe that's, is that where you guys actually did then qualify for Paris officially? Yeah, that was, um, that was an exciting, I mean, it's, always, it's just, it's such an exhilarating feeling to qualify for the Paralympics because this quad First off, it's condensed. It's only a three-year quad because of Tokyo getting postponed. And then on top of that, they shrank the number of teams down on the men's and women's sides down to eight for each um, for each division, the men's and women's. And so qualifying was just that much harder around the world, right? Like it, it went from, okay, second place or third place of the world championships qualifies and the top two teams from the IBSA qualifier qualify and then one from each region to now just the top two at the world championships and number one at the IBSA qualifier and then one from each region and the host country and so we had the fortunate situation that Brazil had already qualified um, through the world championships at our region so we either had to win the competition to qualify or play Brazil in the finals if we played Brazil in the finals we qualified and you know just situationally like the big scheme of things we're trying to qualify for the Paralympics. And so we went into that gold medal game wanting to beat Brazil and um, we didn't, we got mercied and uh, left us very hungry to be better and to try to just figure out what, what we need to do to really be one of these teams around the world that people look at us and say, Oh wow, we have to play them. And we left Santiago <laughs> very hungry because at no point in my life have I ever left getting mercy and been like, wow, you know, I'm okay with that. And, um, I was, right. <laughs> I was, I was irate <laughs> after that game. And, uh, mm. you know, I mean, it's embarrassing to get mercy and Brazil has zero shame in, in mercy you because that's who they are. They want to show you that they're the better team and you know, that's fine. Like I competitively, I would never be upset with that, but, um, it sucks to be on the losing end. Uh, the other thing that was interesting about Santiago was our last training day, I got sick. I had caught like a stomach bug or something from the water. Uh, I, we don't really know. I have no clue, but I got sick. And so the first few games, I was uh, pale as a ghost and <laughs> I had a hard time keeping my food down. And so that Oof. that made things interesting because you go into these competitions and you know, you prep for months and months and months and, you know, doing all the, the workouts and the w trainings and dietary and, you know, all of that good stuff. And then you get there, you're feeling great and then you get sick. And it's just one little thing kind of deviates, just impacts the whole rest of the tournament. And so trying to get rehydrated because I was throwing up, it was, that was a challenge trying to get food that wasn't just, I was eating rice just stays on end, <laughs> right? And Yo. trying to just reacclimate to just, eating food. And so that was another piece that was really interesting for me because I had never 
had some sort of adversity like that kind of come up while attending a um an international tournament so that definitely threw a wrench into all of my plans because it gets kind of took all the work i had done and uh i had to quickly deviate and work with our dietitian and um, athletic trainer and everyone to make sure that i had a good plan to you know, get hydrated and just you know be in a state that's ready to compete at all times and play a full 24 minute game and um we eventually got there but it just kind of sucked at the beginning having to you know not being able to contribute in the way that i wanted to on the team and on the floor for my guys sure sure absolutely uh, so transitioning looking ahead to paris obviously you guys did did qualify at the parapan american games uh for the 2024 paralympic games in in paris and, and uh so just talk to me about kind of your mindset going into you know late august early september when the games start and and your preparation i am ecstatic that we qualified um you, you know it's it's been my dream since i was a kid that once i learned about the paralympics to be a part of the games and Tokyo was great, don't get me wrong, but it was different. It wasn't a traditional games. It was uh, weird. You couldn't interact with people. It was very isolating. I mean, we had a team, so it wasn't other people I think had it way worse in terms of like if you were an individual sport, like you may not have had like people to interact with on a consistent basis. Um, So we were very fortunate in that sense. So going into Paris, I was just ecstatic to be a part of a games that were, you know, a traditional set of games right you got whenever you go to apparel you actually get sized for clothes that fit you i'm six seven and so finding pants that fit me is finding a needle in a haystack and so uh <laughs> a lot of the tokyo stuff they said here's your stuff and you know if it doesn't fit you just gotta deal with it and, you know i'm right blessed to have the opportunity to have gotten all that stuff but it just kind of sucks because like a lot of the long sleeve stuff didn't fit or none of the pants they gave me fit whatsoever and so just that kind of stuff kind of sucked, but um, looking forward to Paris. I'm just, I'm excited to do the whole process. And you, you keep, we keep seeing things get slowly leaked out of what Paris is going to be like. They just announced the medals. Every medal, gold, silver, and bronze is going to have an original piece or a piece of the original Eiffel Tower as like the middle part of it. And oh, wow. that's awesome. <laughs> you yeah. know, like how cool would that be to own an original part of the Eiffel Tower uh, meddling at the Paralympics and opening ceremonies is going to be down the river in downtown Paris going down. um, Everyone's going to be on each country is going to be on a barge pretty much. If I read correctly, uh, floating down the river. And so just to be part of that is just such an honor and be part of Team USA. That's so prideful. And the staff over at the USOPC is just incredible, right? They're so supportive. And once you get to the games, it's like, you're in a different universe because you know, there's food, there's always cooked food for you everywhere at the dining hall. And, uh, you know, I just, I love being a part of it. It'll be my second Paralympic games. And, uh, I just am a sag to get there and just the, that's our top level competition, right? This is our super bowl. So I just can't wait to get there and actually see what the venues look like and what everything is going on and preparing for the games is, it's been weird because everything with Tokyo getting postponed, like I said before, it just everything's been condensed. And so the Santiago games were late November. I think we didn't get home until early December, maybe late November. But either way, we kind of took December off. I know 
a good handful of the guys didn't, um, including myself, I was still kind of getting back into strength for my back surgery uh, in 2022. And so trying to regain some of that strength I had lost. And so I've been really on the grind since early December because I getting mercy in the gold medal game really kind of <laughs> lit a fire under my ass to, to get going. You know, uh, I have a lot <laughs> of room for improvement and uh, I knew that going into that game and I left that game pissed, but extremely driven now that like, I know what I need to do to be the best Callahan young for USA men's goal ball. And so it's, it's a grind. I work full time right now. And so I work out, I leave my house around seven to go work out. I usually leave the gym around 10 sprint back to my apartment, work from 10 to six or 10 to seven or eight or whenever, depending on what's going on, <laughs> cook dinner, try to have dinner ready for my fiance when she gets home. And then we eat, we watch TV, we go to bed and do it again. And it's five days a week right now. And uh, so it's just a nonstop grind. And personally, I love it. I love be. I hate slow time and downtime. And so I love having the opportunity to just keep on going and grinding throughout life. It's, I don't know, it's motivating. And um, I'm starting to see gains in the weight room and just physically, I'm starting to get back to my old size from two years ago. So it's, you know, all that stuff is extremely motivating for me. And it's just thankful to be in the position that I am to be a part of the team and try any way I can to help us medal at the Paris games. Like that's, that's my biggest goal right now is I want to be a Paralympic medalist. Obviously I want to be a gold medalist, but it would be awesome to be a uh, win gold in Paris. And so that's been my absolutely driving motivator. <laughs> I feel like I have a ton of silver medals from the Parapan American games in Peru and Santiago. And uh, just throughout my domestic, I have all my silver medals hanging up on my locker in my, uh, at our gym kind of as a motivator oh, cool. to, to keep you know, I want to strive for that goal. You know, I don't want to, I, you know, I want to be second best. I want to train first best and push myself to be the best. So uh, our coach always says, do you want to be good or do you want to be better? And as corny as it is, I, I love it because it's true, right? Like, I don't want to be good at goal. I want to be better at goal ball. So that way you, it leads you to being the best, right? And always having the mindset that there's always more you can do to improve or increase you know, like I don't know everything and I don't try to act like I do. So that way to having the open mindset to continuously grow. Exactly. Yep. Definitely. Well said. Um, I know you did mention you are six foot seven, definitely a tall, tall dude. <laughs> and, uh, I know you mentioned about like the clothes, maybe not fitting certain things, any other challenges, either pros or cons when it comes to that height. When it comes to playing goalball, tons of pros, I can, <laughs> and I feel like my teammates get mad just because I can make a wrong, uh, a wrong read, you know? So I'm, you're sitting there waiting for someone to throw a three pound ball at you at like 40 miles per hour and you have less than a second to react. And that's real hard. You know, it's not easy whatsoever. And trying to make a reaction of where is this ball going? Is it going to be bouncy? Is it going to be on, you know, a smooth ball? And so sometimes I can make a, a bad read and I'm still tall enough that, you know, it hits my size 15 feet, you know, and, and I stop it. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate because it's just hard to be perfect whenever you're at that kind of stuff. And so I definitely had an advantage with that. And then with throwing my arms are long. So I have a nice long lever to, um, to throw the ball, but 
I think in terms of just life, being tall sucks because <laughs> finding clothes <laughs> is hard. You can't find um, like finding pants is the hardest part. Like uh, I just can't find pants that fit. I wear a 38 inseam and it's, you know, I feel like most guys probably wear like a 32 inseam, 34 maybe. And I'm right. 38 right now. And it's, it's just a pain to find clothes that fit. Um, hoodies. I, kind of good but like sometimes you gotta do like a 2xl i'm not like big like a 2xl but i'm long like a 2xl and so sometimes it uh it's hard to find clothes that are a little bit more fitting that aren't extremely baggy that are long enough and so i definitely struggle with that and then the other big struggle is you just hit your head on everything right like i've hit my head on exit signs before (laughs) and then adding in the fact i have no peripheral vision i can't see anything like getting on and off airplanes. Like, I feel like I hit the lip where the door is probably every single time. Like Ugh, <laughs> at some point I should probably <laughs> learn. I got a duck, but at the same time it's, I'm so consistent with that stuff. But Ileana, my fiance, she'll leave like the cabinets open because they're above her head. She won't ever think about it. And then like, I'll turn and like get slapped in the face by the door. And it's just like, well, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm six one myself. So definitely not super tall, but you cannot imagine having another six inches on me. Yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, I love being tall. I love being the tallest guy in the room. It's kind of fun, just like an ego thing. But when <laughs> I get compared every single time, there's another tall person in a the room. They're like, "Ooh, I think that guy's taller than you." I'm like, "I, I don't care." But no, they're not. <laughs> yo, yo. And how about you mentioned a brother? Is he also pretty tall? Or? Yeah, we're we're definitely a tall family. So my brother and dad are both six four. My sister is six foot, and my mom mm. is around five ten. So we are an extremely tall family. <laughs> yeah, and so that's why yeah. I like the sports. My dad played basketball in high school, and then my brother played basketball nonstop, and my sister played sports. So that's where like the sports come from. And I'm glad that I was the six foot seven one, not the six four, because I guess if you're gonna be tall, why not just go all out for it so (laughs) exactly about that yeah yeah i'm definitely curious about any other adaptive sports for the blind i know you mentioned growing up playing baseball have you tried beat baseball blind soccer anything else i've tried a ton of other uh you know adapted sports and i love playing them any chance i get to play beat baseball i think i'm awful at it this i mean i think it takes a little (laughs) bit of time and effort to get like acclimated to you know swinging with the pitcher and all that stuff and uh fielding so but i I love playing other other adaptive sports and uh, i played blind hockey for a while uh it's absolutely terrifying (laughs) (laughs) i can't see a thing I would destroy people that were on my own team by accident because I thought they were the opposing team. I'm six, seven two forty, And then on skates, I'm probably like six, nine, six, 10. And now I'm two forty, <laughs> but I'm covered in head to toe from pads. And so I can be a little more courageous about, you know, skating full speed at someone that has the, the, uh, the puck and you're not supposed to check people in blind hockey, but I think there's a difference between running into someone full speed and purposely checking them. And, I feel like I ran into people every second of the game. And so I haven't played that in a while just because it, it is just terrifying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I've tried other sports. The the one that I really want to get involved in is um, it's not necessarily, I guess it's in line with judo, but I've always wanted to do jujitsu. 
Um, a few of my mm. friends and I, a few years ago, at a summer camp I worked at, um, they did MMA and they were showing me some jujitsu moves and just that hands-on grappling that uh, people do. I love doing that. And it just, I wish I did wrestling in high school. I think that's one of my biggest regrets because my teacher of the uh, visually impaired, he was the head coach and I have no clue why I didn't do wrestling. And so that's uh, one of my bigger regrets in high school was I think that would have helped me build some confidence to like playing blind sports and kind of diversifying my skill set. Exactly. Yep. Um, I did want to ask you about uh, your involvement with the USABA, the United States Association of Blind Athletes. I know you've had uh, some different roles as like a sports ambassador, different things, right? Yes. So I, I have been a sports ambassador for USABA for the past two years, and I applied to be one again this year. It's on a year to year basis. And so, you know, it's great because. I mean, I already do the things to represent the organization to the highest ability that I can. And so, you know, I'm always making Instagram posts or social media posts, tagging them and uh, including them in everything I do because they do support us so much. And being a part of the sports ambassador program, they try to get, you know, the ambassadors out to different events. And so like, I've been out to San Diego or uh, yeah, San Diego to do an event. Um, Ileana Mason and Zach Bueller did a presentation in Denver last year. And so um, Zach Bueller's wife and I went along with them to Colorado and we went to like the Rocky Mountain National Park. And so like, <laughs> that's like a side tangent but being a part of the ambassador program like they tried to get us involved in other opportunities that you know wouldn't be possible if you know if not being a part of that program and so i'm happy to be a part of that and then on top of that role i am also the athlete representative on the board of directors uh voted upon by uh my peers in the global community and so um you know, I'm glad I get to be a part of that because I get to, uh, you know, I get to help make sure that USAPA is doing what's in the best interest of the athletes and trying to make sure I can be an advocate. And I'm still trying to learn and grow in that role. Um, it's my first time being on a board of directors and it's been a few years, but I definitely think it takes some time to get your footing of, you know, when I'm supposed to speak up and question what's going on or uh, figure out more details for my constituents across the nation. Right. So it's been two great opportunities to be part of with USABA. Nice. Very cool. Um, and then so to put a bow on this episode, I know you did mention Instagram and uh, just in terms of social media, uh, how can people kind of find you follow your, your journey? I Try to do social media. I need to get back into the swing. I feel like during the holidays, I kind of fell off just because uh, <laughs> I did a ton of traveling in December and November. And uh, But if you want to follow me on Instagram, not if you want to, you should go follow me on Instagram. It's at Callahan Young is my handle on Instagram and on Facebook. Everything I post on Instagram goes on the Facebook. I also do on my Instagram. I haven't done it for a while, but I need to get back up on the uh, uh I don't know a good saying, but I need to get back doing it. It's uh, cooking with Cal. I I know my fans have been eagerly waiting for me to do another episode. It's just pretty much where I Instagram put on my story, me cooking, uh, sloppily uh, taking videos of <laughs> my messy workspace and all that. Uh, but as fun as I always try new stuff, 
Um, I should have done it this past week. I made a meatloaf uh, from scratch with it was kind of new and funky. I should have should have done my cooking with cow, but but yeah. And then USABA, I think their their handle is at USABA one. They also post a ton of content and uh, and you know to keep people updated on what's going on, what competitions we're attending, and uh, and yeah, I'd say those are the social media handles I would I'd say to go follow because there's a ton of great content. Awesome. And as usual, I'll definitely include those links in the show notes uh, so people can easily find that info. Awesome. I appreciate that. Definitely. All righty. Well, again, our guest on this episode has been Callahan Young, captain of the U.S. men's national goalball team. And uh, Callahan, really, really appreciate the time, man. It's been a true pleasure getting to chat with you here and capturing your story. And definitely wish you and the team all the best when it comes to the, the Paralympics and then Paris this year. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. We are eager to get uh, the season going and get to get some international ball. We travel into Berlin next month uh, for our first international oh, nice. comp of the year. So definitely excited to get on the court and, uh, you know, get the gears grinding. You know, it's, it's, a, par- it's a Paralympic year where uh, I know I'm excited. I think the rest of the guys are, too. I don't want to speak for them. <laughs> I would assume that they are, but I am uh, ecstatic and my work is supportive of me traveling. And so I couldn't be happier and thrilled to, to be in a better spot right now going into Paris. Excellent. Alrighty. Again, really appreciate the time, man. Thanks again. Yep. I appreciate it, Craig. Thanks. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.